Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Game of Loans podcast. My name is Sam. I'm your host for today. And on today's show, we have the amazing uh, co-living superstar that is Max Rayner of Stuart Clinton Properties. Now, I only actually only met um, Max quite recently. We were both talking at a sort of Zoom online property conference thingamajiggy, um, and I was absolutely blown away by Max's energy and enthusiasm for what he does for a living. Um, And he's one of those property people that doesn't focus on the money. He focuses on what that money brings him from going for going into this. Um, And um, yeah, he's a bit of a go getter. And his um, his sort of saying is good things come to those who don't wait. And that is the title of today's episode. So hope that you enjoy my chat with Max. Um, If you do, don't forget to send me a message on Instagram at the Sam Norris. Let me know what you think. And also don't forget to subscribe, to rate and review the podcast. Um, But here we go. Here's my uh, chat with the amazing Max Rayner. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Game of Loans podcast. Today I'm very, very fortunate because I'm joined by Max Rayner of Stuart Clinton Properties. And I looked down then because I had to remind myself of the name of the company because, and you can tell us a little bit more about that in a bit, but um, yeah, it's got nothing to do with either yourself or Alex's names. Uh, your business partner, so you can tell us a bit about that. But, uh, but look, Max, thanks for joining us today. Um, I see you're getting ready to go on the golf course after this. Uh, thank you very much for having me, Sam. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, I am. Golf courses opened last Wednesday, so I've been taking full advantage. Um, I'm still working hard. I'm still, uh, I'm still doing full days. But yeah, as the evenings are getting lighter, got to get out there. Hey, look, you've got to, got to take advantage of these things, especially we've all been cooped up in lockdown for so long now. Um, oh, exactly. Any opportunity to get out and have a bit of fresh air, you've got to take advantage of that. But um, Exactly. But Max, look, for those people that don't know who you are, uh, do you want to give us a quick sort of rundown as to, as to who Max Rayner is and, and what you're all about? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, like, uh, like Sam said, my name is Max Rayner. I'm a professional property investor and director of a company called Stuart Clinton Property. And we do high-end HMOs in co-living spaces across the UK. Um, so if for any listeners that don't know what a HMO is, it gets thrown around quite a lot. But it's basically, uh, well, it stands for a house of multiple occupation, whereby as opposed to renting out a whole entire property, we rent out properties by the room. Um, and not only does it squeeze profits, but it's a lot more, it's a lot more affordable um, for the people that A, cannot afford a place for themselves, um, or, or, or afford to rent um, a place for themselves. So it sort of sits in that sort of middle bracket of like a first time rental, basically. And there's a really cool space for it, especially the higher end stuff. So that's what we mainly do. I've been a professional landlord for 10 years. Um, well, I haven't been a professional for 10 years. I've definitely made mistakes, but I've been a landlord for 10 years. I would say I've been a professional for three. I also publicly speak. I speak on the behalf of a property education company. Um, and I am also a fully qualified ski instructor and run luxury ski retreats as well, which uh, aren't going ahead as far as, uh, as far as the future can tell at the moment, but we'll, we'll see. But that in a nutshell, that's me. I'm a property ski man. Property ski man. There you go. That's yeah. Yeah, that's what you should have called the company. Not, not, not Stuart Clinton, <laughs> just property, property ski prop, boys. Prop, prop, Prop ski. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that sounds like some kind of uh, Russian like oil company or something. I don't know, but um, yeah, maybe good for you to give that a bit of a, a, a miss. But the I remember because we um, came in touch with each other on a on a sort of a conference call recently, 
Um, and um, and I was interested. You, you mentioned about the Stuart Clinton property name. Yeah. How, how did you come up with that? Because um, it's got nothing really to do with either yourself or Alex, your business partner's actual names, is it? It hasn't, and it confuses a lot of people. Um, we get asked the question a lot. Um, I often get called Stuart or Clinton. But basically, the reason uh, my business partner Alex and I got into property, or well, decided to take property seriously, is because um, we've, we're from a very unique situation in the fact that we're two best friends from primary school. We know it; we've known each other since we were five years old. Actually, wow. Alex runs our Instagram account, and our pictures were posted the other day when we were kids. So go and check that out; it's quite funny. But we've known each other for a long time, and both of our fathers passed away. Um, and basically what happened was, my, well, my, not at the same time, but my father passed away when I was 16. And at the time, um, he wasn't with my mum. So me and my sister inherited everything that he had, which wasn't loads, but it was a lot for a 16-year-old. Um, and my granddad at the time said, Max, um, you should invest this into property. Well, he said, I need, I, I, please let me invest it into property for you. Because <laughs> obviously at 16, you can't, uh, you can't be have that sort of money until, until you're 18. Um, and I said, yes. And that was pretty much what happened. And I'm glad that I did, because otherwise I'd probably be driving around in a Ferrari at 18 and nothing to show for it. So uh, I'm glad that he, uh, <laughs> he put that into, a, into bricks and mortar where I couldn't touch it. Um, and, and basically, so, so, so what happened was me and my sister inherited my dad's house. Um, we, as our grand, my granddad advised, we did it up, we rented it out and that was that. And then about a year later, with whatever money we had left, we scraped by the rest of our inheritance and managed to chip in for another property on the same road, which we didn't have enough money for, for the whole thing. So our granddad chipped in the rest and that was that. And then the properties were rented, just single buy to let. Um, I went off and did all my skiing stuff and fell in love with that. And then basically came back. And um, when I came back from living in Switzerland, where I was teaching skiing, I was about 22, 23. And Alex, my best friend, his, his dad actually passed away then. And um, Alex came to me and he said, Max, I want to invest in property like you have. Let's have a conversation. And, you know, we were talking and then we went and got educated and learned how to do it properly. And that's where Stuart Clinton property was born because it is named after our late fathers. So for us, it's massive. It's massive because um, property investing is not easy and you need a, you need a why to drive you through the harder times, especially when it's pissing down with rain. Am I allowed to swear on it? especially when it's pissing down with rain and it's december and your offers are getting rejected and you you're viewing properties that you know let's face it aren't the nicest things to view and they stink and you know it, it all goes wrong that that really drives us through and and like you say you know um people ask the question about it um we we thought it was a fitting name to begin with because we just wanted to to remind ourselves of our dads and why we were able to do what we, we were able to do at such a young age. But but two, you're right, we're not called Stuart and Clinton. So people are like, what? And and it and it has struck so many conversations. Um so it, it you know, it's sort of uh It's helped you in a way. The, 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 yeah, the best the best out of a very bad situation, really. Um yeah. you know, we, we're very grateful that we decided to do that because I've known a lot of people where terrible things like that happen and they haven't been able to spin it into such a positive. Yeah. So 
Stuart Clinton, uh, Stuart Rayner is my father, and Clinton Baker is my uh, my business partner's father. And at the time, we were 23. We were 23 at the time, and uh, it sounds like we've been in business for a long while. But, you know, they're not they're not the modernist of names. So it's like, oh, Stuart Clinton Property. Those yeah. guys must know this. Established 1776. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like exactly. it. I do, I do like it, though, but you know what? I said to you before this, you know, we'll, we'll, it's conversational, so we'll probably go off on tangents. I've got a load of stuff I've written down that I was going to ask you about, but I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent because of something you mentioned there. No worries. Which was you said, um, you know, you, you need to have a, a why to why yeah. you do it. And um, this, is, this is something, especially over the last couple of years, I've really got into a little bit more. I actually I put a um, video up on my YouTube channel about a month or so ago. Um, that was entitled, I think it was entitled, I'm going to get this wrong, my own bloody video, um, but I think it was entitled, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if it's all about the money, you will lose. Um, and mm -hmm. I get a lot of clients that come to me and they're starting out on their property journeys, you know, they need advice on mortgages and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and you know, I, I try and get really involved with my clients and actually really find out long term what their plans are doing, because that actually impacts on the type of advice that I give them as well. And yeah. I, I always ask them, you know, what, what's the purpose of doing this? What, what are you trying to aim to do? What's your, you know, where, when, when does it become a point where you feel you've been successful? And it's amazing how many of those people give me a figure. Oh, once I've, earned, once I've got a net income of 10 grand a month. That seems to be the one. It's always 10 grand a month. Everyone, everyone apparently can yeah. live their life at 10 grand yeah, a month. Yeah, I've noticed that as well. 10 grand yeah. a number. It's always, it's always 10 grand a month. But I then, I really like strip it back and go like, no, but, yeah. What does that mean to you? Why, did, why is that? Why is that? You know, why is 10 grand up? Do you know what your income and expenditure is? And by the time, you know, sometimes that can take me half an hour to really get all the way back to the reason why they, they do yeah. what they do. And sometimes it can be, I've had some, some clients, oh, well, I want to I start a non-for-profit non because I've got this amazing charity that I work with at the moment, but I want to take it further. And that amount of money will allow me to do that. I've had, you know, oh, I need to look after my grandparents and, and that will allow me to give up work. And, do and when you actually then get right down to the nitty gritty, like you say, when you're focused and you've got it, it's those shit times where yeah. you don't want to be doing it. And then you have to remember because 10 grand a month is not going to drive you forward. It's the non-for-profit it's the doing it because you know your dads are looking down yeah. and, and they're going to be proud um so i'm really glad that you mentioned it because obviously it's something that it sounds like you're pretty pretty passionate about yeah i mean you know from experience um i, th I think first of all when we talk about the money and people putting figures on things i think there is a certain amount of money that makes life easier um, but but no matter how much money you make, if you're just chasing money, I completely agree with you. You're never going to be happy. Mm. Um, and when I, I actually lost sight of this and was chasing money for a bit, um, and I honestly, there was two years where I, well, probably not the year just gone, but when I started to make the jump in salary for what property can provide, the first couple of years, I was just a young guy chasing money. Um, and I realized that I was actually unhappier in the two years that I'd made the most money I'd ever made in my life, probably triple, quadruple what I used to earn. Um, and I was, I was no happier. But then when I started to think about my father and, and Alex's dad and what the company was about, then I started to feel a bit happier. Because once, you work, once your monthly salary goes up, so do your expenses. You know? And I found that, you know, as opposed to when I went to the pub or a restaurant, I'd normally budget sort of, I don't know, 25, 30 quid. I just spent 100. And because there was no budget. So 
you know, it was like I was still doing the same things, but I just didn't feel any richer because I wasn't really channeling it into the into the why at that point. Um, and the why can sometimes take a little while to figure out. But yeah, I agree. It's important. And the reason it's important is because when times get tough, if you don't have a why, that's when you quit. You know, when now it's not about the money. It's about being able to play golf every day when I want. Um, it's about establishing a legacy for my fathers and really just providing myself and my family and the people close to me with something that um, I was never able to have. And it's about the freedom and having choice. And that's what I have to remind myself when it gets tough because chasing a figure, I can tell you, the more you start to earn, if you're just chasing it, like I said, it, 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 I, I don't think it makes you any happier. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's surprising as well, I think, but you mentioned a couple of things there. You, I want to be able to do this, that, you know, go and play golf mm. on a, you know, an afternoon, whatever it might be. It actually, it, it, there is an element of, of a monetary side of that, but it's also time and freedom, like you say. But people also, mm. I think, when, I think a lot of this kind of made up uh, goal of 10 grand a month, whatever it's going to be, actually comes off the back, back of a complete naivety to what actually constitutes you being able to live that daily, weekly, monthly life that, yeah. make, that would make you happy. And actually, a lot of the time, the figure that you would need in order to have that life that you want is a lot lower than people think. Definitely a lot yeah. lower than 10 grand a month for, for most people. Yeah. It's only when yeah. you then sort of factor in, okay, well, I want to live in a bigger house, I want a, I want a nice yeah. car, whatever that kind of thing is. But to actually get to that initial stage where you've, you've reached an element of success and you can start living the life that you want to now, actually probably takes people a lot less time than, than they would think because the financial aspect of it probably isn't as draining as, as they would have thought. Yeah. I agree. I mean, our financial freedom figure when we first started was two grand a month. Yeah. And that, that literally, you know, I, I, I'm a single bloke. Um, when we first got into property, that was literally the amount that I thought that I needed. And I earned a lot more at my corporate job at the time. But, but once I achieved that, that made me a lot happier than the money. Because, yeah, you mentioned the, the freedom and the choice and the time there, and I, and I brushed upon that. I think that's going to be, that's what's more important to people um, than, than what well, I, I believe in the money. Yeah, because um, I remember seeing, I saw a, a post that you put on your, your Instagram page, which is, um, and let, remind me if I did get, actually get this right, but it's you, like you're in a suit and you're looking really happy. And it was, it was that was the, the moment that you reached that initial figure, wasn't it? And then you could give up the corporate job. Yeah. So yeah. was but did I suppose, like you say, to reach that sort of element, to get that independence, to be able to do that, that there is a monetary figure attached to that. But how did mm -hmm. that feel when, when you actually achieve that? Because I suppose so many people that are probably going to be listening to this are are chasing that same day. Yeah, they can turn around uh, and sack their boss, basically. Uh, unbelievable! Like you sort of you you it, it becomes one of those things that. You, almost, you, you know it's going to happen because you're doing everything in your power to make it happen, but it's a day that you just dream about. Mm. Um, and it's a day that really you know that you're safe um, and there's a huge sense of achievement and, and feeling of, of gratitude to that. The fact that I know that my property portfolio, no matter what I'm doing, how sick I am, um, if I need to just stop working and attend to something important in my life that that will cover me forever mm. and that makes you feel powerful and that makes me feel happy you know yeah. um but yes you're right there is still a monetary value to it and i think money buys comfort and it allows you to pursue 
you, your dreams and your goals. This is passive income, of course, because you could be on this 10 grand a month. But if you're in a, I guess, a sort of a paycheck to paycheck hamster wheel type of life and you haven't made any investment and, you know, that you're on the clock all the time, then as soon as that gets taken away, you know, and nothing's coming in, then that's still a quite a vulnerable position. So, you know, us earning two grand a month wasn't this 10 grand big milestone, but it was it was more than that. It was the freedom. Um, and then obviously it gets addictive and you start building on it and things happen. But, you yeah, know, it's, um, yeah, to, to go back to your question, all we needed was 2K. We didn't need 10. Yeah. Um, but I think if you get 10, then great. You know, great. That you, you, it opens the door to more opportunities. But I think you need, I think really people need to change their whole mindset around money in general and, and, and what it can do for them. Um, if they need 10 grand a month to go and buy a load of material things and holidays and it's not going to leave them in any better position. Yeah. I think this is, this is something that I've, I've certainly learned myself over the last probably five years or so since I started, you know, my life changed. Um, and that's not, it's, it's genuinely isn't an overstatement when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I just kind of went, mm. oh shit, hang on a second. Life should be a lot different. And the way I'm thinking about things should be a lot different, but you're absolutely right. In what you were saying about, you know, going out, buying material, material things. And I think that comes down to just worrying too much, maybe about what other people perceive of you. And, yeah. and actually, it's probably not the most important thing. What people really close to you, you know, wives, husbands, girlfriends, family members, whatever. Yeah, quite important. But actually, the wider public, does it really matter if you're driving down Hemelheim to High Street in a, in a Lambo or a Fiesta? You know, does, it, does that well, change your life do, too much? Do, do you care what people that you don't know think? No. Mm. Well, you shouldn't. Um, and have you ever given a shit if one of your close what one of your close friends has got no it's more about if they're there for you how much of a fun time you have with them the memories that you create i don't give a shit if one of my friends has got a rolex or a ferrari or whatever great for them if they work hard and it makes them feel happy mm. but, if, but going to that point if people are buying stuff just to please other people then that's already a bad road to go yeah. down. Do you know, a lot of that kind of thing changed for me as well when I read um, Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. When um... that was my first ever audio book, actually. That was book. it. I was, yeah. I was working. I just got back from skiing. I was working in London, um, and I used to listen to that on the train um, yeah. all the way in. That was the first, first sort of big personal development one I saw. It was a good book. Yeah. But the thing is, I think that again that changes your mindset because it becomes less about the the value of money and actually more the value of time. And if you yeah. can create a smaller pocket window where you're earning that cash but it carries on you know for a longer period of time over a month a quarter whatever it might be then and it gives you the time to be able to go and accumulate experiences which ultimately is what you remember you know you don't sit here now and go oh, i remember when i got that really good bonus at work you know and I, yeah. got, I got 10 grand in a month as a bonus or whatever it might be you think you actually probably think about yeah you might remember that time in your life but it's probably what that money bought you the actual experience um, yeah. that, that is something that you remember. And I think that's uh, something that a lot of people forget. Agreed. I, and actually, Sam, I don't think there's anything wrong with material things. If you do it for you, if you do it for yourself. So I have always enjoyed buying nice things for myself, to be honest. I've toned right down as I've become more sensible with money. It's weird. When I was a little kid and I couldn't afford it, I'd spend my whole paycheck on a fucking Gucci belt, you know, and that would make <laughs> me happy. But, but now it, it's different. But... I, I do it as a trophy. Um, so it's like, what if, if I buy something material, 
it is not on impulse. It is not from a whim. It's not just because I'm in London for the day and I've got the money in the bank. It will be right. I want this thing because this represents all of the hard work I did for that period in my life, for that project, whatever it is I'm, I'm doing at the time. That's how I would treat material things. And I think that's how they should be treated. You know, mm. if you buy that Rolex, Rolex is, is, is the watch, I think, for guys especially that gets brought up all the time. Yeah. It, it's sort of that first sort of, oh, he's got a Rolex sort of thing. You know, if you get one, it, for, for me, it's like every time I look at it, I want, you know, I want it to, to make me feel happy because it reminds me of that time where yeah. I did my first flip and made X amount or, you know, that, that, that's why I, that, that's why I think expensive material things, I, I think that's how they should be bought in my opinion. Yeah. They represent, um, they represent something like a, yeah. an achievement basically. Yeah. Not, not just cause it's cold, you know, or, yeah. or you think it's cold. Yeah. I, do you know, I think, I think you're right. And I'm glad because I do feel like probably people listening in will probably veering off on, we're thinking that, materialistic stuff is is not cool and maybe going down the certain route that some you know gurus will say oh you know forget about that you've got to eat sheep yeah. shit for all your life and all that kind of crap no yeah. do you know what nice things make you happy but they have to make you happy rather than exactly you know, just just thinking oh i want you know i need i want to impress somebody else if they yeah. if they are just impressed by the fact that you've got a rolex watch on they're probably not the kind of person that you want to be you know spending your time with anyway because they're not it's not you that they're interested in it's the fact that you've got an expensive bit of metal right around your wrist which there's never been something that's you know appealed to me from mm. a, a personality point of view so um yeah no i agree but yeah like i say i think yeah on, on the whole material things can be good but not if you're not if you're not doing it for yourself yeah absolutely do you know there was something else that you you mentioned when you did your, your presentation to the um the Auburn property meet where um, i heard you speak which was you said good things come to those you don't wait um and i thought that was really cool um and i made a note of it at the time in fact i was i was writing stuff down and i wrote it in big capital letters across the top of my page um and i've written it down here again because you the way you presented that you had said good things come to those who wait and you crossed out um yeah. part of it and then and then, and then changed it um so what, what, what does that kind of mean to you because obviously you started early um but I guess it's more about just taking opportunities when they come, isn't it? Rather than just yeah, being exactly. overly unnecessary patient. Exactly. Um, so I live my life by that quote. And at, at school, I was always told, and by your parents, because like, I've always been a very um, impulsive person. I've never had a lot of patience. And I've always, you know, been told by people, oh, Max, you know, good things come to those that wait. Be patient. And I'm not saying that, that you, you don't have to be patient um, because patience definitely is a virtue. And patience in certain situations um, is needed. I think everyone needs patience because if you act too much on, on impulse um, and you don't think things through, you end up missing detail, right? And you can make mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, but what I mean by it is if you sit there and solely believe, oh, my day will come, you know oh you know nothing ever nothing ever happens to me but you know i'm, I'm praying that that one day is going to come where opportunity is going to fall on my lap that's bollocks you know i i all my friends have always grown up that, that have grown up around me have always said max you're so lucky like how did you end up in that situation or how did you do that thing and you know why did why did that happen to you i never get that and i always look back on it and it's like it's because i went out and got it i put myself out there i spoke to that person i was a bit cheeky with someone by asking them a question that maybe someone else wouldn't um you know i've worked my ass off i've i've you know done everything i can to put myself in front of the right opportunity um and and that's why i love that quote because it's basically saying um 
get off your ass and and and, and do it because yeah. n- nothing's going to just come and fall on your lap. Um, with that being said, every time you go for an opportunity, don't expect to get not. Uh, don't expect not to get knocked down. That's how you learn, right? But it's about getting up and and, and getting it. Because if you're not getting up and you're not getting it, then uh, you know pay it, that day of of opportunity is never going to come. That's it, and I think that's that's the key as well that I took from that was that actually, if you you can you can wait around, you can wait around, you can wait around. But actually, when you have to also just be ready for when that opportunity does potentially not drop in your lap, but when it when it just sort of dangles the carrot in front of you, you've got to be you've got to be ready and prepared to just take yeah. action and, and do it rather than say I'll, I'll wait for the next one because the next one may never yeah. come. And 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 the more you put yourself out there, the more you will actually realise the opportunity because sometimes the opportunity is not crystal clear. Sometimes it takes a bit of digging and a bit of connecting dots to think shit. There's an opportunity there. Mm. Um, and that comes with experience of putting yourself out there and putting yourself in uh, networking situations, speaking to different people, working hard, having your mind set on it all the time. Yeah, um, and I suppose your opportunity came when you know, in, in not in the nicest of ways, but you know, when your grandfather said to you, "Look, you know, I reckon mm. there's there's an opportunity here for you to not spend the, the money up the wall and go and buy yourself a nice car, but actually." start building a foundation for for yeah. you in the future so that was an early lesson i suppose for, for you to take the opportunities when they come yeah i mean look don't get me wrong our father's passing was a was a dreadful thing and something that i'll never get over but that that pain has has driven me into turning it into an opportunity mm. um and i agree yes and it, it, it was an opportunity that had to be taken yeah um and we will continue to take them a lot of it's a lot of it's mindset to be honest as well which is a whole different subject and you know we can ramble on phrases yeah. about it but it, it, a lot of it is mindset and how you perceive things do you want to do you want to look at a situation and be like oh this has happened i'm never gonna get over it i'm never you know and start feeling sorry for yourself and go into self-destruction mode or be like actually there's an opportunity in this. Yeah. i always think whenever massive change happens be it through pain, be it through circumstance, the, the bigger the change, the bigger the opportunity, which is like right now, by the way, mm. you know, that what, what, is ha- what we're talking about is happening right now with, you know, there are two sets of people right now. There are people like us that are recording podcasts at the end of the day um, with work on our mind and, and see an opportunity, or there are people um, sitting around watching TV, treating this like a holiday, mm. thinking, that, that, that this is the worst time ever. And that, of course, it, it is bad, right? Mm. That I'm not saying it's not bad what's going on. Um, but there is huge opportunity right now. Huge yeah. opportunity. And, been, and if you I've, get off your ass and start working, you're gonna, there's going to be some big things to come out the end of this. Absolutely. My, my, my tagline for the entirety of this lockdown has been in, in every adversity there is opportunity. I, le- I learned this, you know, but I did, I did two history degrees. I've, I've seen what's that these sorts of things happening in the past and you know the people that have come out of them well or the nations that have come yeah. out of it well back in the day talking about wars and all that sort of stuff are the ones that that, that yeah. learned took action and drove drove forward and you know yeah. that, that and you're absolutely right it is a mindset thing it's funny how many of these podcast episodes do turn into talking about mindset because I think it's probably although we're talking about it a lot it's not something that's in the sort of the, the wider, the wider public's yeah. view. It's, you know, you're not going to read it necessarily in property magic or in, you know, in these property related books. And you're probably not even going to get a lot of it when you go to some of these networking events, but it is something that the, those that in our, in our industry have 
been successful, it's something that they, they focus quite a lot of their time and energy on, getting that right and having that mental toughness. Mindset, mindset is, is, I solely believe, is the first thing you need to get right. If your mind's not right, if, you're not, if you don't believe in yourself, if you've not got that positive attitude, you, you're, already, you're already losing, in my mm. opinion. And not just in our industry, this is with everything. Look at athletes. Look at, all you need to do is go and look at any role model. Go and look at, the, go and look at your favourite actor, your favourite sports person, your favourite entrepreneur. Um, and, and, and study their mindset because you don't get there without believing you can do it. Um, yeah. And if there's, you know, if there's doubt, if there's a lot of negativity in there, um, it's going to be harder. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, I, I, but at the same time, I think if you, if you talk about positive thinking, I think there is a level of naivety of it. You can't, you, you, you need to know the negatives and you need to be aware of them. But uh, to be able to avoid them and to be able to get over them and, and get through everything correctly, you know, being super positive and having your head in the clouds is also not good, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but, but on the whole, having the belief and, 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 and being positive in general is, is, gonna, is, is number one for me. The yeah. belief, really. Do you know, it's, it's, it's funny, and I talk about this quite regularly, and um, my wife says, uh, whenever I say this, she goes, oh my God, that's such, an, that's such an LA thing to do, like an, such an American thing. But I, I actually have a therapist, right? And I speak to him, um, usually it's once a week, next week he's on holiday, or he's, he's doing training and stuff, yeah. so he's not available. But you know, when you say, oh, I've got a therapist, you know, oh, this, is there something wrong with you? It's like, no, no, no. I have somebody to vent to every single week that, is trained in psychology yeah. and can talk me through any issues that I'm having that are work related and sometimes personal related as well. Yeah. And do you know what? I've been doing this for about four months. The difference it has made to my life has been insane. And, um, yeah. and it, only, it only came about because somebody said, oh, you know, why don't you just give it a go? And it's just been amazing. So now I have a therapist, I have a coach, <laughs> You know, and these are people. I just think everyone should have these people. Sure, man. Yeah, you've got a team around uh, that, that, you know, your therapist is part of your team. Joe, I heard a stat. I don't know how true it is, so don't quote me on this. But I heard a stat that the majority of, Ameri the, the majority of Americans, I think it's like 75%, have therapists. Yeah. Um, I don't know many people over here. I, I've got one as well, by the way, and mm. I think they're amazing. And I agree with you, actually, because if you're going through – um, if you're going through a, a tough period in your life and you turn to friends and family because you love them and they love you and, and they're going to try and care for you, if they're not qualified in, in giving you the answer that you need, why would you turn to them? A therapist is qualified. Yeah. A therapist is qualified to, to help you work through it. You know, it's like you're not going to, for example, my mum knows nothing about property investment. I'm not going to go up to my mum and say, mum, would you reckon of this deal? How, how can I do this? And then yeah. she'll tell me what to do and I listen to their advice. So why do people listen to their loved ones when they're not qualified to give them the answers yeah. that they're looking for? You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm, smiling, oh, yeah. I'm smiling because I, this, I literally get this firsthand all the time. Appar apparently, according to my wife, I talk about work a lot. Um, and she gets, okay. sick, she gets sick of it, which is absolutely fair enough. I work in finance, possibly the most boring thing in the world. So, um, but it, it's funny because she will say this to me. She'll like, Sammy, I'm listening. You know, if you need to get something off your chest, that's yeah. fine. But if you're looking for input from me, like, I'm not qualified to, yeah. to, to help I'll you. I'll be a wall. I'll be a wall. Yeah. 
you can bounce. Yeah, it's, I'm a water bouncer ball off of. That's but but then she'll moan that you talk about work all the time. <laughs> yeah, she, I, 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 this is so. And funny enough, this is something I talk with my therapist about. It's like, right, finding that balance. You know, uh, I don't want to. I don't want everything to become down to work. But it's, um, it's something I'm so passionate about. And obviously, this is something that you and I share is having a genuine passion for what we do. Sometimes yeah. we forget that not everyone has that genuine passion, and, and you can sometimes ruin. I, I will. I will. Too much. I will say though, I do talk about work a lot and I, and I love property. If, if I'm truly honest, I wouldn't say that property is my thoroughbred passion, um, if I'm honest with you. But what is my passion is what it is doing for me. Um, there, are, there are elements of property that I, um, that I enjoy and that I'm more drawn to. Um, but I, I would say on the whole um, that as much as I love the environment and I, that I'm in and I love the people, I don't dislike it, but I would say the true passion is what it is, it is doing for me. Yeah. Um, no, that's so great. It's, I, I wouldn't say it is, you know, I wouldn't say that sitting on a computer doing a spreadsheet all day long is, is, is what I love. Yeah. Um, but what, but what I do is I find the elements within property that I love and that I'm most passionate about and then delegate the rest out so I enjoy more of it Um, but yeah I I just wanted to bring that up because um, as much as I'm a guy that wants to live for my passion I I recognize that property is a vehicle for my passion and maybe isn't my my true passion not that I dislike doing well you know what it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I I, this is something again that I talk to and I, I get told all the time I go outside the boundaries of being a broker quite regularly um, but it's just because I love chatting to people, especially in, yeah. uh, investors and, and stuff and, and helping them realize their dreams and goals actually really does genuinely get me going. I know that sounds ridiculously cheesy, but it is, yeah. it is true. Um, yeah. And I, and I talk to them sort of uh, about what you said all the time about, right, you know, actually don't worry too much about the fact that, you know, don't pretend that you like something that you don't, you know, if you don't like viewings, yeah. work with a property sourcer. You know, yeah. if, you, if you don't like doing building work, hire a builder. If you don't yeah. like, if you don't like, um, you know, setting up email, uh, emails to a mailing list for, you know, to source properties or whatever, hire a VA to do it, you know, yeah. find the things that really, really drive you and you really love doing and do those all the time. Um, you know, and myself and, and one of my colleagues, we've started to do that a lot more because he loves the, the daily grind of broking. And I love the marketing. I love I love speaking to investors, finding out what they want. You know, yeah. Basically, kind of lead generation. For it sounds really salesy when I say it. So we started working together on this, and you know, we're both actually doing the elements of a job that we really love, and it's just conducive to such a better working relationship. And and I think people can should should learn from from that sort of thing. Actually, yeah. Exactly what you said. Focus in and double down on the stuff that you absolutely love doing, and delegate the rest. Yeah. And and that's never in the business manual, is it? <laughs> that's never in the because um, we learned that the hard way. I spent a lot of time doing shit that I didn't like doing until I re- and, until I realised I don't actually have to do this. I can pay someone else to do it. Yeah. Um, it takes a while to learn that. I think. It's and hard. If I ever started a, started a new business now, I would have it all from day one. All mm. all the stuff that I don't like doing would be farmed out from day one. It's funny. Then I guess that there be... is that element. There is that element when you're coming from a background of nothing. To, to also work from the ground up. And sometimes you, you don't have a choice. And I actually think, you know, tasting the things that you don't like doing are also a good thing because it shows you, okay, I definitely don't want to do that. I definitely don't like that. 
Yeah. Um, I think, you, yeah, there's an element of needing to, 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 to do a bit of the shit to, to show that you don't like it. I think. Absolutely. And then the, I, I'm, I'm doing this like right, at the, right at the moment. I've got, um, you know, I, I, as well as doing my, my day job as a broker, I've got a few mentees that, that I teach them sort of how to use social media for their yeah. marketing and stuff like that. And, um, and, I, and I say to them all, look, I love, I love social media marketing. So I'm happy to post loads, you know, put videos together, edit videos, have a strategy, uh, you know, schedule posts, engage with people regularly or online. Like, I love doing that and I'll do it all day long if I could. But a lot of the people that I'm speaking to and sort of helping them through, we're, we're working through the strategies and I'm saying, yeah, this is great. But ultimately at some point, you probably, if you don't like doing that daily because you are a property sourcer or you know, you're yeah. a developer and that's actually what you want to be doing all day and every day and this is just part of your overall business strategy, then yeah, learn it actually learn how to do it so that you can then teach a VA or somebody or, or bring on yeah. an agency to do your marketing for you, but they can still work to, yeah. to your strategies. And it's the same in any business, you know, tr trial every single element of it. So actually you understand it. So if you do, um, you know, if, if there's a, a section, you know, you want to outsource your accounting, whatever it might be, or your bookkeeping, try it first, do it for yourself, because then actually you know when that person's doing a good job as well, and you can yeah. show them how to do it in the way that you want, to, you want to do it. And I think that's a good lesson for anyone in business, not just in property, to learn, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. If you look at a lot of the gurus that are out there teaching, you know, entrepreneurship, business, um, even the niches of the things that they're in, um, time and time again, I always see it comes up, and you, and you said it there, is it's um, uh, learn it, apply it leverage it and and that's and that's how it needs to work learn it do it leverage it and i think there's like longer versions of like systemize it leverage it but yeah the basic principle is learn something do it and then teach someone else to do it and then just crack on and let them do it yeah which exactly. is which is great but look I, I because I really if wanna... you find someone that loves that thing then yeah. that's how you're building the great team right because people well, they, love... are they going to do it better of course they are hmm. Because they're into you know this is this is why um, and and in my industry this is where I find that a lot of a lot of brokers actually fall down is that when you look at the you know very similar to any business you look you look at the process you know from start to finish for, from a broking point of view there's so many elements in fact me and me and my, my colleague broke it down to forty separate elements from the first point that you speak to a client to when you complete you know that's a lot of little different jobs yeah. in there and no human being on the planet can be brilliant at all of those. So you find people to fill those gaps are actually going to be better at it than you, you know, sure. am, am I great at keeping, you know, my online files all up to date and noted up and, you know, and, and clients, uh, you know, kept up to date every five seconds with, with, with what's going on with their case. No, but is my administrator. Yes, she is She's amazing. Yeah. And, 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 you know, she'll be, she'll be speaking to clients all day long, updating them, you know, really pushing lenders every two seconds, it seems to, um, to, to move things along. So, you know, but I then spend my time, you know, talking to clients um, at the front end. Which, which is what you love and that's why your business is working. Exactly. As soon as you do too much of the stuff that you don't like and you, you don't let that's it go, and you, won't, you won't leverage other people. That's, that's, where it, that's where it doesn't end up working quite a lot of the time. Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. But you know, look, I, we, we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about, I suppose, non-property related stuff. And I'm really yeah. keen because you mentioned something at the very beginning. You were talking about um, HMO and co-living. And yeah. I remember it, it, as soon as you said that, it prompted something in my head. Um, I was reading somebody had a real rant only a couple of weeks ago on social media 
um, saying, you know, oh, I'd seen a poll and it was what, what was the what was the most annoying phrase that you 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 hear in property? And, and this particular person then wrote their own post about it, and the word was co-living. They hated the right. word co-living. They said it's not it's not co-living. It's just a, it's just a bloody HMO at the end of the day. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm not sure if I'm which side of the fence I'm on on this. If I'm completely honest, because I've seen it both sides. Um, okay, it is. Where, it depends how it's done. It is just a bloody HMO, right? <laughs> Any te- technically a co-living space is a HMO. Yeah. Okay. I think the concept of co-living is, is, is thrown around and I think it, it, it's this new term that has started to be used. Um, and it's basically referring to the higher end side of the market. Now, if you look at HMOs now, even in the last two, three, four, five years and how far that they've come, people didn't even have a clue what they were a lot of people didn't now most people i would say do or most people that are in the property industry do for sure so what's happened is the market's become very saturated and it's it's a good way to um it's a good way to get extra income from a property from an investor's perspective but because the uk is an island and we're a very densely populated island and we're not getting any more land anytime soon a hmo is is needed um and it is bridging the gap between you know, the, the people coming out of university or students or whatever, not being able to afford, like I said at the beginning, their own place. HMO is that perfect place to start, especially if you're a single person and you're looking to live with a few other people within your budget. Now, the standard HMO has become the norm. Um, even, a, even a pretty decent refurb HMO has, has become the norm. So I think the way that this is going and the way that people are still struggling to, you know, the average person to buy a house these days is like 35 or something. Mm-hmm. So people are renting up until that point. Um, it's about selling the community. It's about the extras. That's what I see as co-living. I don't actually know if there's, a, if there's an actual definition, but my understanding of co-living is thinking with the thinking with the tenant in mind and selling the community you know this is a house where everyone gets on this isn't a room this isn't a room this place has been thought about people are thinking about how people live there's different um, breakout and communal areas of different sizes of different things there's social events going on you know once a quarter or once every month um, the, the, the property company would put on a, a, a cocktail night or, you know, there's extra little services like dry cleaning. There may be a cinema room. There may be a pool room. That's not, in my eyes, a standard HMO. Um, and co-living to me is about selling the community, about creating a community where people are living and working together. You know, there could be workspaces in these places. That, to me, is what defines it. A HMO... A standard HMO for what we know is a room in a property where, you know, I've got, I've got them. I've got a few HMOs where I know that my tenants probably don't speak and they get in and they go in their room. So, you know, how, how, are, we, how are we moving on from that? How are we making it better? And that's where I believe co-living is born. It is at the top end of the market. You're going to have fancy design. They're going to cost a lot more money. You're going to charge more rent for it. Um, but certainly in the city centres, you know the, the social people this is this is what's happening and this is what they want so do you reckon that actually that some of the things you said there is kind of again it just sort of ticks and or put on a bit of a light switch in my head I, i've always seen hmo because you, you mentioned about you know it's harder to get on the ladder all that kind of stuff people are coming out of university they just want a little place of their yeah. own 
ordinarily it would be, you know, a one, I would prefer to have a flat that I can go and live in, but I can't afford sure. that. So I'm just going to rent a room. So that becomes almost like, like you say, kind of bottom end, start a, yeah, start a, live, start a living. Would co-living then be more aspirational insofar as it's not, yeah. I can only afford a room. So I'm just going to have a room. It's more, I could afford to live yeah. in, a, in a one or two bedroom flat if I wanted to, but actually I'm a yeah. single person. I yeah. aspire to actually go and live in, an, in, a, in a kind of environment like this, like a co-living yeah. space, because it's got all the amenities that you just mentioned, yeah. dry cleaning, you know, whatever, whatever it might be that, that's there. So, so perhaps, again, it's a mindset thing, but that's kind of where, where they sit yeah. um, in terms of the, the, the market. And, uh, and that's maybe the difference between... Yeah, I mean, I mean th there are also some, certainly in London, that would cost you more than a flat, you know? There are some that are actually, you know, they're, they're, they've got so much in their gyms and all this other stuff, they'd cost you more than a flat. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, I, it's an it's a, it's a alternative option for someone that doesn't want to live on their own but wants some nice styled accommodation with all the amenities that they need and to live with people. Yeah. Um, and, and really, that hasn't been available. Yeah. You know, all right, there, there are, I guess that there are a sense of community in some of the modern high-rise blocks of flats that you see in the cities where they do have similar things like that there's like there is a communal area to uh, as such there is a gym as such but they are still in separate flats yeah um this this is this is slightly different from that and it, and it is you living with with people yeah um so i believe i believe co-living is, is just as much of a concept and a way of life as it is uh, just a just a bloody HMO. But if you look at the paper, it is a HMO, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's, where, that's where we struggle as brokers a little bit with lenders actually trying to show the distinction um, because a lot of the time it leads to sort of down valuations on the rental side because they're looking at local HMOs and not taking into account the quality sure. of the accommodation. Um, but uh, but you mentioned something earlier on as well. You said about the HMO market being, being a bit saturated. Um, yeah. Do you, do you believe that that is... Um, sort of, and I think I know going to know the answer to this, but do you think that's kind of a nationwide thing, or do you think it's more sort of pockets and areas of the country, no, traditional it, HMO areas that are maybe just been bombarded now? Yeah, just areas, um, and quite often it's where people often hear, you know, uh, it's on the grapevine that this is a good area, and as soon as one main investor or known investor has gone there, the rest of the people flock. You know, all the good figures come out, and then they go. Um, and areas that are getting developed. So yeah, there, there are, it, it's saturated in certain areas, but I've just bought one or I'm buying, I'm going for the process of, of, of buying one right now and there is not many. Um, and I know that I'm my own competition in that area, which is amazing. Um, I wouldn't do that as one of your first ones. It takes a lot of research to, you know, it's definitely, you, you know, I guess if the one thing that you do have in a saturated area is you, you it's pretty easy to define your rent it's pretty easy to pick up the smaller pockets within the saturated area where it's not saturated and there's still demand because location is still key um, and easy to get comparables in regards to a mortgage. Um, mm -hmm. Once you go off the beaten track, it's, it's, it's going to be more, it's going to be tougher to convince yourself <laughs> that it's yeah. definitely going to pull off. Yeah. I thought that was going to be the answer to be honest with you, but sometimes you've got to ask questions that you do know the answer to, don't you? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, in certain areas, I think, yes, or, or, or bog standard HMOs. I yeah. think, I think there's no saturation, maybe London, 
um, and and some you, you know Manchester maybe even though you know you've got Article Four there now, so you can't just convert and make new ones. So it is being controlled as well. Um, but I think that the majority of the decent HMOs aren't saturated. So the, mm. the, the high end stuff that I'm talking about now, no, that you, you're going to be in the top 5% and the top 5% is its own market. I suppose just like anything, the, you know, even getting into HMO is deemed to be, you know, a bit more of an advanced strategy. The, the co-living again, yeah. you probably want to maybe start off with, with something a little bit more bog standard before moving into that kind of stuff. But how, and again, I use the word aspirational. When I speak to a lot of you know, early investors, they say, you know, I want to get into HMO. Um, yeah. and, and they use buy to let almost as a stepping stone. Is that, is that sort of what you did? Um, or you know, how quickly did you get into the HMO market? Yeah, I mean, I had buy to lets to begin with. I guess it depends on your level of understanding. Um, I don't see an issue with starting with a HMO um, if you haven't got any buy to let. I, I don't see the issue with it. If you do it with someone that knows what they're doing and you've got the experience. Um, if you, if property's new and you're not going into this with a business partner and you don't have a mentor over your shoulder um, that can't guide you, then you need to go into, you've got to do buy to let first. They're less risk, they're easier, there's normally less money involved um, and you'll make mistakes on them. Yeah. And obviously a HMO, if you're doing a HMO conversion, there are a lot, there's a lot more money at stake. And when there's a lot more money at, sta at stake, if you make mistakes or the unforeseen come up that you haven't put contingency in for, it's going to burn you a lot more than a basic buy to let. So what I'm saying is, is yeah, if you don't know what you're doing and you're not working with someone that doesn't, then I wouldn't recommend it to begin with. I think the thing is as well is actually people forget that single buy to lets, you know, there's, there's still quite a decent amount of money to be made. Yeah, you might need to, to buy three times the amount to get the same kind of net cash flow that you're going to get from yeah. you know, a portfolio of HMOs. But it just means and they're, less a headache. Yeah. they're less than a headache. Yeah. They're less of a headache. Um, I was chatting to a few sophisticated investors that, um, that I know recently about buy to lets, and we're all talking about snapping up a few more at the moment. Um, it's probably the only rental market across the country in the majority of places has actually gone up over this period. Yeah. Um, and, and they are necessary, you know, they're, they're set and forgetters. Once you do one, it doesn't cause you much aggravation afterwards. Yeah. HMOs, even if you get them right, be prepared to be pretty hands on. Even if you've got an agent, even if you've got a team, they will stress you out. Um, it's worth it, but you know, it, it's, it depends what you want. If you're not willing to view as a business or farm out so much work to other teams that you're minimizing your profit, then, um, you know, it is a strategy that needs to be considered. Yeah. Um, it is uh, the way I see HMOs are our business. They need maintenance a lot more than, um, you know, buy to let a lot more stuff gets broken these days. You, you know, pretty much every HMO is furnished. You've got to sort that. You need to have, you know, yearly or, or bi-yearly or every five yearly plans to replace furniture, licks of paint, all that stuff that, you you know, you can leave a buy to let for 15, 20 years. Mm. It'll be fine. It's funny, so, actually. I was, I was talking to a client earlier, um, back in the last week, and uh, he's, he's got a portfolio of HMOs. And um, I hadn't spoken to him for about a year because um, he hadn't been all that active. And, um, and he's, he's come back and he wants to do a bit of refinancing and, and add to the portfolio. I said, you know, 
what you've been up to last last year. I haven't heard from you. He says, well, I, I, I've been buying a, a lettings agent. Um, I've been, I, it took me six months to find one, another two or three months to negotiate, and I, and I bought one. I said, oh, why did you do that? He says, well, because I needed someone to manage my portfolio for me. So he literally went out and bought a lettings agent just so because they had the property management team. And it's funny because the letting agent is nowhere near actually where the uh, his portfolio right. is. It's just because they've got the systems and the know-how to manage property. Yeah. Um, you, well, I mean, it's a good it's a good way to bring your costs in house. So I, I do know a lot of people at a larger scale. Um, you know, some of the guys that I look up to that that do that. They either set up their own agent or um, or, or buy one. Yeah, because the thing is as well. Is I think traditionally people have set up things like. Uh, lettings or, or or sales estate agents because they it, it, it's like a primary business you know we're going to buy and yeah. sell property and, and that's going to be the business but actually i think there's there's a few clients certainly that i've got that have done exactly what you just said they've, they've either bought or set up their own agents because you know the letting of other people's property or the selling of other people's property is um like a byproduct the main reason they've yeah. set it up is because they want a property manager to look after their portfolio. And like you said, they're bringing their costs in house. It's a little bit like what we were talking about earlier about leverage, isn't it? Getting people to yeah. come in and do the jobs you don't want to, you don't want to do. And nobody wants to be taking calls from, you know, tenants at two in the morning because the boiler's yeah. broken down. Um, and uh, yeah. And I actually tend to, I tend to fight, cause I don't have my own netting's agents, but I tend to find they're the best ones to deal with because they're doing it for themselves. So they know the ins and outs of it. The smaller lettings companies, Certainly for HMOs are, are the best one. They might yeah. be a little bit more expensive, but um, you know, on, on the flip side, the people like that really know what they're doing because they manage their own. So they're going to make sure um, that it's done to their standards. Yeah, because they've got those they've work systems in place to manage their own portfolios yeah. that you're just sort of jumping off on the back of, really, aren't you? Yeah, no, that's yeah. good. It's good. Um, there's one other, one other thing that I was going to I was going to ask you about, and that is obviously we're in a difficult time at the moment. Um, but in terms of your own plans for the rest of the year yeah. and beyond, you've mentioned a little bit already in terms of maybe looking out and, and expanding the portfolio. How sort of aggressive are you going to be in that? And you know, what, what are your reasons behind either not being too aggressive or being, being aggressive in that? Um, I think certainly my strategy needs to change. I'm not going to use the P word. I've seen so many so many uh, interviews issue oh we need to pivot um and um but you uh, you need to change and, and reevaluate your um your your situation change your strategy you know a lot of things that worked yesterday aren't going to work tomorrow and i don't actually have all the answers so i am looking this is the first recession that i'm going to go through if, if it is a recession of course will be the first sort of downfall that I'm going to go through. So the first thing I'm doing is looking at the people that have already been through it and having a chat with them. Hey man, you know, you're a property investor. You've had property for 30 years. You've been through this three times. What would you do? And, and getting information. I'm using this opportunity to connect with people and expand my network. Um, you know, whilst everyone's been stuck in their house, it's amazing the amount of directors you can suddenly get through that want the, want the chat because they're sitting in their living room going mental. Yeah. Um, so, so expanding my network is key. And yes, I'm keeping my eyes out on deals, um, but I'm not going to rush into this. I think that there are going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of very lucrative deals coming on the market, you know, as, as maybe not right away, um, maybe the next six to nine months, once people have 
been laid off from their jobs and spent their savings then they're going to look to offloading assets and you know maybe they or it's portfolio landlords that are getting a bit fed up of legislation everything's going on so they just want to cash it in you know struggling businesses that are going to sell commercial buildings so the opportunity to buy a great deal is coming um but i wouldn't rush right into it um i certainly i'm not going to park my money in anything right now unless it is of a significant discount i think as long as you're adding buffers in and you're not just forcing yourself to go and buy something because you've been in lockdown and you feel like you have to because you it, you need to make lockdown feel productive um but yes i think if if i if i well for, for ourselves first of all um any hmos that we're buying at the moment um we're looking at doing on lease options um just to protect ourselves from any downfalls in the market I think lease options are an amazing strategy to look at. We didn't actually use them too much before, but a lot of the properties that are on the market right now are people that kind of haven't swallowed the pill yet that sort of need to realize, actually, I might need to shave 10, 15, 20% of this property to move it. And, and they don't want to accept it. So if you can go in and say, hey, do you know what? I'll give you that or a little bit more, two, three, four years down the line and rent it from you. In the, in the in the interim would, would that be would you be happy with that so there's a we've already done about three of these um and also you know it protects us because we're not putting a deposit into anything that could potentially fall um so i i think that that's that's a good strategy moving forward and i think you know as, as much as i say uh, uh to get off your ass and get stuff i think this is a period where you need to be patient period where you need to be patient to buy but it's a not a period where you need to be patient in regard, regards to putting all your ducks in a row you know a lot of people are going to be scared when we come out of this let investors know that you're you're on the ball let in, investors know that you're that you can get them a return on their money because not a lot of people are going to be able to or a lot yeah. of people are going to be scared and people are still going to have money to invest so let investors know who you are connect with them tell them you know that you've still got deals going you know that's what we're doing um connect with the agents better connect with sourcing agents better connect with your mortgage brokers um, and, and 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 just start to get everything in a row so when the opportunity comes you can you can jump at it but i wouldn't just run out the door and start buying stuff willy-nilly without a strategy yeah i suppose it comes back to, i think i sort of rambled a bit of that but i, I got uh, most of it out <laughs> no I, I know exactly what you mean it's about it, it is basically what you were saying earlier it's 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 taking the opportunities when they come be prepared and ready for those opportunities mm -hmm. um but don't just go and buy stuff just because just because yeah everyone else is is saying oh now you know it's the gates have just opened you don't have to just run through them just because everyone else is no now's the right buy now's the right time to buy uh, or or the or the, the the next coming year two years is going to be the buying opportunity of the decade for the people that have the knowledge you know everyone makes money when it's booming you can buy the wrong property but if you know if the market's growing healthily year on year normally the equity will save you from any bad purchases um but if you're buying on a downfall that's where you've got to have a strategy and that's where the money's made but you've got to know what you're doing yeah no absolutely no, it makes perfect sense and i think that's a, a good lesson for for anyone listening that's maybe a little bit early in their in their sort of property careers and quite a nice little i suppose bit to to end on because i'm uh, i'm very very um wary of the fact that you want to be getting out in the sunshine and uh, hitting a few holes <laughs> yeah i might only get nine holes. i might only get I mean, nine holes in now <laughs> yeah and we, we, we were talking about the 19th hole before and you're not going to get there at this rate so um, the 19th hole is not open 
it's such a shame. I always look forward, you know, the last couple of holes of having that nice cold pint, but we, we're not there with that yet. But I'm uh, still grateful to be out on the course. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, Max, it's been amazing having you on. Um, but for those people that have been interested in, in what you're saying and maybe want to reach out, as you've been saying, reach out to people to get some advice. Yeah. What's the best way of them doing that? Yeah, well, now's the best time to get me. I'm answering the phone. I'm at home. Um, I'm happy to talk about anything property related from how to get into it or if you just want to figure out what we do, how to invest. You know, give me a call. I'm on LinkedIn, Max Rayner. I'm on Facebook, Max Rainer 23 We've got a company on Facebook, Stuart Clinton Property. And we also have the website, www.stuartclintonproperty.co.uk. Check out what we're doing on there. Reach out to me on any platforms. I'm always active and I'm always happy to speak to people for anything property related. Awesome. Good stuff. An absolute now, pleasure, Sam. Now, I always finish with one completely non-property or business related question because one thing I've learned okay. about myself in, um, in lockdown is that I'm probably the world's worst chocoholic. So I'm always keen to find out what my guest's favorite chocolate is before I let them go. Oh, whoa. I am actually a bit of a chocolate man. It's, it's probably the, I don't eat chocolate daily, but it's probably the biggest thing I have random cravings for. Sometimes I feel like I could be a pregnant woman. It just springs <laughs> on me. Um, <laughs> Galaxy is the best, I would say, sort of high street chocolate. Or if I want to go a little bit more expensive and treat myself, I go for lint. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do like a lint. Actually, I, I I'm not a fan of dairy milk, actually. You're not? Uh, see, I, no. I, 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 do, I do just like a standard um, dairy milk. But recently, in terms of Galaxy, I had a Galaxy uh, like crispy. I had like, almost like Rice Krispies in, in the middle. And that was... Oh, that, yeah. Well, I need to. I need to check that. Don't see him very, very often. Just in my local like corner shop, it was. Uh, I was oh. like, well, hello. Um, we'll Although I am these. a bit of, I am a bit basic when it comes to chocolate. I don't like too much stuff in it. I like like a plain milk bar is 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 what I need. Yeah, I I, I tend to be the same, but then I cheat myself a little bit every now and again with a, with something weird and wonderful. But uh, but good, nice one, Max. Well, look, I'll leave you be. Go and um, swing swing a few clubs, and uh, hope you do all right. Hope you beat whoever you're playing. Um, thank you, I appreciate it. And thanks um, for so, thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed our conversation, and um, yeah, look forward to catching up in the future. And good luck with everything you're doing. The podcast is amazing. I love the name. Me. Yeah, awesome, oh, mate. So do I. There we go. <laughs> oh, he's got the t-shirt as well. even got literally got the t-shirt i've uh, got a hoodie on the way as well because this was this t-shirt took so long to get here that they uh the, the people that made it said oh we'll, it became we'll, winter <laughs> yeah we'll, 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 give you, we'll give you a freebie i was like oh we'll have a we'll have a hoodie now please so that's also taken ages but there we go i won't mention the company given bad publicity but um yeah cool mate look i'd, I'd love to get you back on at some point um in, in maybe towards the beginning of, of next year see how you've had yeah. the, the, the next few months but um yeah absolute pleasure having you on mate so really appreciate it yeah, happy to. It's been great to meet. And like I say, mate, just, you know, anytime you want to reach out, have a chat, you've got my details. Um, I've got you on social media now. So, That's yeah, so watch this space. I look forward to watching some more of these as well. Absolutely. Cheers, mate. I'll catch up with you very soon. Great. Cheers, Sam. Take care. Well, there you have it. Another one bites the dust, as they say. But let me ask you a quick question. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, please do subscribe to the podcast as well as rating and reviewing it. This really does help me get my podcast out to more people and I'll be eternally grateful. 
As well as this, are you in property and wondering what to do at the moment? Well, if that's the case, I've set up a fantastic new Facebook group called Social Media for Property Investors. Check out the link in the show notes below and join us where we will discuss all the things that you need to know to smash it on social media. See you later.